Avoid major decisions during discouragement. Now, next, let's go on quickly. Share your problems with spiritual authority and friends for prayer. James 5.14. Will you look at it with me? Where it's talking about healing. James 5.14, where it's talking about healing. Gives a prerequisite there. Starting with verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise them up. If you have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Many, many times it becomes very, very difficult for some people to be able to share their problems with anyone else. It is a very nice thing if you and your wife have such a relationship that you can come together and share your problems, your deepest problems with them. If not, find some friend. Uh, if you're a lady, find a lady friend. If you're a man, find a man friend. Let me interject that. I, I've been in the ministry long enough to see some, some men have a tremendous ministry, but it seems to always be with women. And I've seen some women have a tremendous ministry with other men. But if you have problems, if you can't take it to your, uh, as a woman and you're married, you can't take it to your husband, then take it to another lady that you really have faith in and say, I, I'm not asking you to run to the phone with this. I'm asking you to run to the throne with this. Pray about it, will you? Just pray with this. It's a real problem. And I, now, once you do that, you are accountable to someone. They're going to come around and say, how are you doing? How's it coming along? And so you knowing that that's going to happen, the next time that old temptation comes up and that weakness comes up or that problem that attacks you, you have a little more resistance because you know if you stumble and fall in your face, they come and say, how's it going? You're going to have to say, Ugh. But if one can chase a thousand and two put ten to flight, then you need that added strength when you're going through discouragement. Share that discouragement with someone else. And God can use that to lift you up. Not only that, many times the Lord will give them insight into your problems because they're not involved in your problems. I've seen people come to me with problems and, oh, I mean, they are, they're, they're sitting on a piece of Kleenex tissue with their legs hanging off the side. They're so down. And when they get all, I, I sit there thinking, oh boy, I'm going to hang on to my chair. This really must be big. And they get all through after about 15 or 20 minutes just letting it all hang out. And I, and I say, uh, go on. That's it. And almost come out and say, that's it? That's all? Oh, goodness, praise the Lord. Well, that's not so bad. And before long, I begin to put it into perspective. So they, And they say, oh, I feel better. And I think, you know, what happens? We just get so close to the tree, we can't see the forest. And so to have a friend you can go and share with during times of dis when you start to get discouraged, go to them and say, I want you just to pray with me. I want you to give me a scripture verse or two and, and, and just hold me up in prayer this week. It'll destroy pride. You know, some guys like to go around letting, acting like nothing's ever wrong. And their insides are just being chewed up. They wonder why they never have victory. God has given us bodies. A body of believers. And a body always looks out for itself. I imagine that an electrician, if he reaches up and takes a hold of one wire... His other hand makes sure, and his, I mean his eye makes sure that the rest of his body doesn't touch a ground somewhere. 
Why? Because the rest of the body looks out for that finger that just touched that wire up there, and you're not about to get grounded. And that's the way we're to protect one another and encourage one another. All right? The next thing, get conquer discouragement, is focus on God's reputation. Many times discouragement comes, but it's out of the wrong motivation. Some people fray, uh, act like they're afraid that God's going to lose his reputation. And when you finally analyze why they're so concerned, it isn't God's reputation that so, they're so concerned about. It's their own reputation. Some preachers, you know, they'll pray for someone and then if it doesn't work out just the way they thought it was supposed to pray, they think, oh, I've got to see to it that this works out the way I, I thought it was going to pray out. Or Some people think I can't, I don't know how to pray and I don't have power in prayer. Let me tell you something. That isn't my responsibility. The Lord tells me to keep my life pure and to be obedient and pray for people and the results are up to Him. And so in many times when discouragement comes, we have to begin to analyze, why am I getting discouraged over this? Is it my reputation or is it God's reputation that's at stake here? If it's our reputation, then that means usually that we're in charge of that problem and if we'll let go, God can work it out. When things start to go the wrong way and we grab it and try to bring it back in line all the time, and, you know, many, many times I find myself getting anxious over something and I have to stop and say, wait a minute, why, why am I getting anxious when the Word says don't be anxious for anything? Uh-huh, I want it to go this way. I'm trying to hurry this thing up. I'm trying to push this thing up. And I have to back off and say, Lord, have you ever done this? I have. Lord, I, I let go <laughs> right now. I just let go. I'm not going to hang on to it anymore. Make sure you know whose reputation is on the line if it doesn't work out. And if it's God's reputation, then let me tell you something. It may not look like it's working out, but His ways are not my ways, and His ways and His thoughts are so far above mine that when it works out, it'll never work out the way you and I thought it was going to work out, but it'll still work out. Many times I've tried to guess how God was going to do something, and you know something? I've never hit it on the nose yet. He's always shown me that He's got a better way. Don't worry about the reputation part. Next, focus on your position in Jesus Christ. When you begin to get discouraged and you're sitting down looking up to see bottom, begin to quote what the Word says. I am an heir of God. I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I have been born into the family of God. I am a royal generation, a chosen people. I am seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, far above all principalities and powers, all the rulers of the darkness of this world. I am in Christ, in God. I remember a teacher one time demonstrating that to me, and he said, if you ever begin to get discouraged and you get down in the dumps, he says, you just, I was going to take a quarter, but if it's going to represent me, I'll take a penny. And he said, you just begin to recognize your place in Christ. You are in Christ, in God. And the devil can't get at you unless he comes through God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you begin to focus upon that position and recognize that the way that you got in this position was through Romans, the sixth chapter, verses 1 through 11, it'll begin to encourage your heart to recognize that the problem is not nearly as big as it looked. What does Romans, the sixth chapter, have to say to us? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? 
Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that as, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, when you begin to Focus on your position in Jesus Christ that, first of all, we are to be dead to the things of this world and alive to God through Jesus Christ. That allows us to begin to let go of these things that we have allowed to ensnare us in discouragement. Next is to offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise to God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. There is biblical precedence for this truth of conquering discouragement. Will you look with me at 2 Chronicles chapter 20? 2 Chronicles chapter 20. To conquer discouragement, you give praises and thanksgiving to God when you don't feel like it. The Word of God never says, praise the Lord when you feel like it. It is a commandment that we are to give thanks and praise to the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. From early in the morning, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name shall be praised. The Lord dwelleth in the midst of the praises of His people. If you want to get discouragement to move out and God to move in, begin to praise the Lord. Not as you feel like it, but because he commands it as believers. Second Chronicles, the 20th chapter, verses 21 and 22. Now this is talking about Jehoshaphat and his army. When they went to battle, the Lord had told them how to go to battle. Verses 21 and 22. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army, and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. When they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments. Hear that? The Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. Now, they were getting all ready to send their army out, and they prayed about it, and the Lord said, No, you just send the singers ahead of me, and the instrumentalists ahead of you, the army, I mean, and let them begin to sing of the mercy of the Lord, and I'll take care of the rest of it. I want you to know something. One of the greatest victories that you and I will ever experience is when we begin to let God fight our battles for us, and we just stand back and praise the Lord. Years ago, I gave you the illustration of wanting to meet Joshua in heaven sometime and being able to say, wow, I could just see all those pins, you know, medals for being the great general all the way to the ground. And then I realized that when I get there, that isn't the way it's going to be at all. 
Because if I say, are you the Joshua, the son of Nun, that, that, that conquered the city of Jericho? He'd have to say, no, I'm not. I'm Joshua, the son of Nun, who just simply obeyed the Lord and walked around it, and God conquered the city. He fought the battle for me. And that's one of the greatest spiritual truths we have to learn, to quit trying to fight our own battles, but rest in the Lord, wait patiently for Him. He will deliver us out of all of our trouble, He said, when we trust in Him and rest in Him and are sensitive to Him. And praise Him in the midst of discouragement. Bless His holy name. Now let me assure you, about the time you start preaching and teaching on this, you're going to have to practice it. The enemy tries to come around and says, well, let's just try that a little bit, you know. And then, remember, in during times of discouragement, remember the principle of, the principle of the birth, death, and fulfillment of a vision. To understand that you have to Read in the Old Testament quite a few stories and you'll see that that's the way God operates. God will give you a vision. And the biggest problem with a vision is that you immediately say, that's from God, and you go out and you try to fulfill that vision. You begin to act on that vision. Woo, God said I'm going to have thus and such, and you take off and try to fulfill that. That must be it, and I'll go in this direction. Oh, no, maybe that's it, and I'll go off in this direction. And before long, you're in total disarray. Remember, God says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you as a, as a nation, and you're going to become a great nation. I'll bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. Come out of the land, leave your relatives, everybody, and come into the land that I'll show you, and I'll give you a seed, and uh, that seed shall be mighty in the earth. And Abraham says, Glory to God, I'm going to have a son. And, and he went off into the promised land. And what happened? No son. Sarah says, I can take care of this. Here's Hagar. Hagar, come here. Abram, come here. God says he's going to give us a seed. I'm too old. Here, you can have Hagar. You have a seed. And Ishmael was born. Oh, I know that if we could go in reverse, that the Jews would love to go back and slap Sarah up the side of the head and say, woman, shut up. Because <laughs> that's the whole basis of the Arab-Israeli problem today, that there was an Ishmael. That's, Ishmael was man's answer to God's vision. And look at the mess it's created. See? And so Abraham and Sarah tried to work out God's vision and God's promise. And in doing so, in the flesh, they ended up with nothing but a horrible mess down through the eons of time. And it will be until the Lord comes back again, straightens things out. And so Abraham and Sarah finally said, Oh man, we might as well give up. Look how old we are. God must not have meant it. Until the angels came along and said, Sarah's going to, and you and Sarah are going to have a child and Sarah went <laughs> you've got to be kidding we've heard this before somewhere and it's way past when it was absolutely impossible way past the time of that birth when she could ever have a child you read about Hebrews that finally Abraham being a man of faith forgot all about the fact that his body was too old and about Sarah's womb being dead but he began to see the promise of God of course, if you want to take Dr. Cho's teaching on that and incubate it like God had Abraham incubate it, and he promised him a son, he took him out, and Abraham was looking up in the skies, and he said, Abe, see all those stars up there? He said, yeah, he said, that's how many children you're going to have one of these days. Wow. And so when he was walking around discouraged, he'd be looking at the ground, and God nudged him one day and said, Abraham, see all that dust on the ground? Yeah. He said, that's how many children you're going to have one of these days. Wow. He goes, wow, wow, wow. Everywhere he looked, he was incubating all those kids. And yet his body was dead. Sarah's womb was dead. 
the vision died, and then God says, now, let's go. And Isaac was born. But Moses, Moses gave up all the riches of Egypt to be the one that God, that would redeem God's people out of Egypt. He killed an Egyptian. He got chased out in the back of a desert. Don't you think that vision died in 40 years? 40 years later, God started a bush on fire in the desert, and he said, now Moses, you go on in. And 40 years later, he let him take him take the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. After Moses came place, he said, Lord, you're going to have to have someone talk for me because I can't even talk anymore. After 40 years of standing out here going, by these dumb sheep, I don't even know how to talk anymore. So you're going to have to get someone to speak for me. So he had Aaron come along. Joseph had a vision from God that all of his brothers and his mother and father were going to bow down to him, and he went out and he blabbed. He told all of his brothers, man, this is the way it's going to be, kids. You guys are going to really look to me. And here he was, the youngest kid with his big coat of many colors. And it was a vision from God, but he tried to go out and hurry it up. And his brothers didn't like that too well. They threw him in a pit. Then they pulled him out, sold him as a slave, went into Egypt, and he went through everything, ending up in prison for 13 years. Don't you think that vision died about the end of that thir- just before the end of that 13 years came when he was stuck in prison and the two that he had given, he interpreted their dreams had forgotten about him in prison? He thought, what's the use? Lord, I'm just going to sit here and rock. I say all that to tell you that when God says he's going to do something for you, whether through prophecy or vision or in the word, many times when it looks like it's the most hopeless, that's the time you begin to praise God because he always has to see the death of a vision before there can be the fulfillment of a vision. See, he doesn't want you to be able to say it's going to go this way or that way, it's going to work out this way or that way. When you finally give up and say, God, I give up, he'll say it's about time. Now I can do something and then he'll do it. Just read the scriptures through and you'll see that over and over again. I could give you many other illustrations. But he destroys it to build character in you and me. Can you imagine what would have happened if Joseph would have gone out and said to his brothers and his parents, you're going to bow down to me? And they said, you're right, Joseph. If God told you that, down we come. He would have been the most egotistical mess that God could have ever had on his hands. And so God had to build character in him and test him and try him and put him through the furnace and put him through the fire to prove him and bring him to a place of obedience where he says, God, I don't care what it is, do whatever you want to do. And God says, I've been waiting for that. Now I can begin to bless you. Now some of us have probably gone through to where we wonder if there's any end to the furnace. But God has got us on an accelerated program of maturity so that he can fulfill his prophecy in our lives. But he'll never fulfill it the way we think he's going to do it. Otherwise, we would be all prepared to help him all the way through. And he does this to build character in us. And then when, we, when that character is finished and we're what he wants us to be, then he can fulfill it supernaturally for us. And all the praise and all the glory will have to go to the Lord for it. Next, discern how God can use your problems and or pressures for his glory. Lord, all these problems and pressures that are coming against me right now, begin to analyze them. I see this, I see that. Uh, how can I use this for your glory, Lord? What did Paul say? I glory not save in the cross of Jesus Christ. I glory in tribulation and trial. For when I'm weak, then am I strong. I glory not save in the cross of Jesus Christ, by the, whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Paul began to realize that these problems and these discouragements that come against him, he could use for the glory of God. God could get glory out of them. 
And in order to conquer discouragement, we need to say, now, Lord, I see this and this and this in my life. I want you to give me discernment to see how I can get glory. You can get glory through this in my life. I hope that if any of you ever in your lifetime run into any discouragement, that you'll pull out these notes and begin to think on them again. More than likely, most of you will never hit discouragement, but if you do, these things are written for our admonition to encourage us to realize that as we read how God dealt with people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it encourages us to realize that there hath no temptation taken us but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with that temptation make a way of escape so that you can bear it. God is going to bring you through with victory if you will find out how to conquer discouragement. First of all, God will send adversity into our lives many times just to get our attention. It's like the man who sold the mule to another man. He was getting rid of his mule, and he says, is it a good, hard-working mule? He says, absolutely. He said, uh, well, how do you deal with him? He says, you just speak very gently to him, and he'll do anything you want to do. You have to be very gentle with him, though. Speak kindly and softly to him. They so took him down and started him in the field. And uh, he said, all right, you beautiful animal, let's begin to work now. And he just stood there. He says, you're a lovely animal. I love you, and I think you're a wonderful. He went on and on with all the adjectives, and nothing happened. And he had to get his field done, and finally looked up, and the farmer that had sold him the mule was going by. And he called him over. He said, what's the matter with this animal? I've given every adjective I know to try to get him to work, and it won't work. He said, oh, he says, there's just one problem here. I'll take care of it. He reached in his back of his wagon, and he pulled out a two-by-four and walked over and hit the mule right back of the head of the two-board as hard as he could. The mule went down on his knees and back up on his feet. He said, now, come on, boy, let's go. And down the field he went. He said, I thought you said speak softly. He says, I did, but you've got to get his attention first. Now, sometimes God has to get our attention first. If he can't do it any other way, he may have to do it through adversity. I've said many times in my prayers, Lord, please, don't Make, don't let me this time get to the place where I, I get into such a big mess that I, I have to get there before I can hear what you're trying to tell me to do and what you're trying to say to me. But you know, as I look back and see the adversities that have come into my life, I thank God for them now because it was during those times that God got my attention. And when adversity comes, you can just mark it down. He's trying to say something to us because we know that all things work together for good, that we can rejoice and say, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning me. Secondly, it can assure us of God's love. Whom the Lord loveth, he what? How often? The times. That means continuously. All right? Now, not only does he chasten, but he scourges. You know, in the Old Testament, it says the rod of correction will drive out stubbornness. And that's talking about a, a stick or a, a, an instrument to spank your children with. But the Lord says, that's and if a parent loves his child, he will spank his child when he's disobedient. To, to make him identify pain and suffering with wrongdoing and blessings with obedience. Well, if you think it's bad, young people, for the dad or the mom to lay the rod to your back, the Lord says he lays a scourge to his children. Now, a scourge can just strip you down, let me tell you. And he knows when, it has to, when he has to do it. It's not a pleasant thing. But he says he does it because he loves us. And when that type of an adversity comes, realize that God is trying to assure us of his love. And I've said many times to our children, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't correct you all the time. Of course, I'm sure they thought from time to time, I wish you didn't love me so much. 
but uh, the same feeling goes toward our, toward our Heavenly Father. He says because He loves us, He sends adversity to us to get our attention and to make us know that He really loves us and has a purpose for our life. He wants to bring us in the direction He wants us to go. All right, thirdly, calls us to self-examination. You know, if everything is going just smoothly and everything's coming our way and uh, no problems whatsoever, it's very easy just to say, hey, bless God, everything's going beautifully. But when adversity comes, it's the time to do self-evaluation. Lord, is there something you're trying to show me in my life? Are you trying to make me aware of something that I have skipped over? Lord, just reveal it to me. And I'll tell you, the hardest thing to do if everything's been going beautifully and suddenly adversity comes, it's to get quiet before the Lord. I mean, go into a room somewhere, close the door, don't let the telephone be there, don't let the radio be there, don't let the television be there. Just get quiet before God. Be still and listen to Him. That's hard to do. But if you want to do some self-examination, He'll show us what the problem is if we'll get quiet enough before Him. To conquer our pride. I've seen some people go along and as though nothing ever touched them. And before long, you begin to see pride come into their life. If someone else has sin in their life, they almost go, hmm. The Lord says, well, they need to do a little bit of work on that one right there. Conquer our pride. When we think that we've got everything going our way and we can handle all the situations, God will send an adversity in that you just can't handle. Now, if you haven't had that yet, you're very, very fortunate. But I can assure you, if you have the same type of blood flowing through your veins as I do, it'll probably come sooner or later if you allow pride to enter into your heart. Next, it'll reveal our weakness. The Lord is continuously doing what we call is a work of progressive sanctification. Uh, the only way I can describe it or make a similarity to it is to tell you what happens if you go to an osteopath or a chiropractor. A chiropractor or an osteopath will start working up your spine and it feels so good when they're working up your spine to find out they hit a sore spot and they'll go, ah, and they'll stay right on that sore spot. And you think, oh, move. It felt so good when you did it down lower and up higher. Why are you staying right there? The Lord will just bring to our attention a weak spot. Sometimes Beverly, you know, has not felt really, he felt a little bit listless. And I'll say, come here, I want you to get on this table here. I have a, a table that an osteopath's wife gave me when he passed away. The osteopath passed away one time. I said, get on this table here. He said, oh, I'm fine. I said, yes, I know you're fine. But just let me massage your back a little bit and just let you limber up a little bit here. And I started for back and... Oh, uh, so there's a, a little weak spot there. <laughs> With a little bit of massaging, a little bit of a twist, sometimes it'll snap back in place and she'll say, oh, I feel better already. I said, oh, yes, but you were fine. I just wanted to show you that from time to time there's weak places that have to be worked on. Now, the Lord will do that to us also. He'll show us through adversity our weaknesses. If you and I have a tendency to temper, the Lord will allow situations to come into our life so that that will get a chance to manifest itself. Not because the Lord wants you to develop that temper. He wants to reveal it to you so you can begin to pray about Him setting you free from that temper. And He'll reveal the weaknesses to you. If it's jealousy, I've seen homes destroyed by jealousy. He'll give opportunities of adversity to come to you so that jealousy can manifest itself, not so that you can get that developed to a stronger position, but rather that you can be set free from jealousy. Adversity is a good motivator to 
cause us to cry out to God. I don't know how many of you have read the Psalms time and time again where David, when he's going through adversity, unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my voice, you know? I will look unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. O Lord, have you gone to sleep, he said sometimes? God, hear my cry. I groan all night and my bones are dried up like a potsherd. My bed is wet from my tears. Lord, all of a sudden he finds a motivating purpose for cry, crying out to God and Many times I have found when I get cold in my prayer life that God will send an adversity to me. For all of a sudden I'm awake in the middle of the night, I'm awake early in the morning, I don't go to sleep right at the right time at night, I am crying out to God. It's motivated me to cry out to God. But many times when I don't pray, I find out that God will send something in my life to motivate me to pray or motivate me to read the Word of God more. How many of you know what I'm talking about in that? When adversity comes suddenly you find yourself in a much more prayerful mood, right? All right? That's the reason God allows it to happen in our lives. To expose spiritual warfare. He sends adversity to expose spiritual warfare. When I talk about, for example, anger, I've known of people who have had a bad temper. And so the Lord sends something and they explode. They say, well, I did it again. They saw my eye, the Irish in me. And someone will come along and say to him, I want you to know if that's Irish, it's an inherited Irish thing, and it's an inherited spirit of anger. If you can't get rid of it, then you're in temper, and you need to ask God for deliverance and, and get, that, get rid of that thing. Exposing spiritual warfare, showing you how the enemy is bringing defeat in your life. You'll send adversity. Purifying our faith. If there are areas in our life that we have difficulty with, believing God for it, He'll send opportunities along for us to develop faith in that area. If we want to grow in the Lord, He'll send areas of adversity to us to develop our faith in different areas. Now, you know where that area is in your own life. God knows what you and I need to be what He wants us to be. And so He'll send that along. Through adversity, He will give an increase of our hatred of evil. I have never yet Gone through times of adversity, but what I've come out hating sin more than I did before. Usually it's some act of disobedience that brings me into adversity. And then I say, Lord, it isn't worth it. I don't want that in my life anymore. And I begin to come against that thing and begin to pray over that thing. And I'll tell you, I'm going to say it again. That one of the greatest victories in my life that I experienced was when God laid on my heart that series, Renewing of Your Mind. I preached that maybe, what, a year and a half to two years ago? But God has caused me to try to operate in that thing every day since then. Time and time again, I have found that to be a real source for me to be able to hate Satan all the more and to see how, how deceitful he is and tries to work. And the only way that he can attack us is through our minds. And as you see his works and his devices, you begin to hate evil all the more. When adversity comes, it's a good way to remind us that we need to pray for our authorities also. If you're going through spiritual trouble and tribulation and adversity, you should begin to pray for your pastor. If you're a wife, you should begin to pray more for your husband. If you're a child, you should begin to pray for more for your parents. Pray for those who are your spiritual authorities. Begin to pray that God will really minister to them because there may be a hole in their spiritual umbrella and you're getting attacked because of it. If it isn't, if, if God's dealing with you and you find out it isn't something in your life, then you need to pray for those that are in spiritual authority over you. 
that God will minister to them also. You know, the Word of God says as a, as a people, we should be praying for those who are in authority in government. It's our responsibility to pray for our president and all the, the leaders and political leaders. We are a fortunate people. I have a country where we still can operate with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we need to pray for our leaders that we can live a peaceful life. Praying for our authorities that way. And right on down the line, we need to be praying for our authorities because many times Satan can come against us and afflict us with adversity because our authorities are not in a proper place before God. Re-evaluating our priorities. Re-evaluating our priorities. It was interesting to hear Beverly when we were on vacation. I was writing my book up in uh, the mountains this last October. We lived in, stayed in a little house. We had very few things there. And she kept saying when she got home, she said, I was just amazed how well we did with so few things. I said, actually, it was a real relief to me not to have all the responsibilities, all the extra gadgets and everything around just to kind of rough it. It was really fun. And this is exactly what adversity can do in our lives. We begin to reevaluate our priorities. Things that seemed very, very important at one time don't seem important anymore. When you go to a doctor, or not you, but if someone goes to a doctor and the doctor says you've got six weeks to live, let me tell you something, priorities change. When the Titanic sunk, I'm told that a lady was on the boat and she, she was one of the fortunate ones to get on a lifeboat. She says, just a moment, can, I, can you just wait a minute? I've got to go get something. And they thought, well, we'll give you 90 seconds, but we can't, the ship's already listing. She jumped out of the boat, ran across the deck, down through the gambling casino where money and gold and everything else was all over the floor ran down the hallway into her cabin, reached right over the top of her, her watch, her diamond rings and her earrings, and grabbed three pieces of fruit and ran back down the hallway, up the steps, jumped up into the boat, and was lowered away. I thought, boy, what a, what a difference of priorities all of a sudden. All those other things meant nothing to her now. Let me assure you, God knows exactly what kind of adversity to send into your life and mine many times to get us to change our priorities. And uh, God knows that we need to have our priorities constantly reevaluated. What's really important in the light of eternity? Testing our work. I've been in the ministry long enough to tell you I know that God sends adversity once in a while to do this. When you begin to realize that after all the years you labor and labor and labor, you think, well, praise the Lord, we're beginning to see some real solidarity, some real growth, we're beginning to see some fruit coming now. The Lord will send adversity and testings to test your work, to see if it's built upon the sand or built upon the rock. And some people think they're doing a tremendous work for God, and then all of a sudden the enemy will come along and the storm will hit and everything gets washed away and they have to start all over again. And in times of adversity like that, your work will really be tested before the Lord. Sifting our friendships. The Lord will send adversity sometimes to sift out your friendships. There will be a lot of people that you think are your friends and you'll find out when adversity comes along they aren't really your friends. Do you remember how Job had some glorious friends too? Remember how David, when he had friends that were ready, that, that were very sick, he would go to them and sit with them and talk with them and comfort them. And when he got ready to die, those friends were going around saying, well, before long he's going to be dead, and they weren't really his friends. 
I've seen people who've said, man, when I used to have money all the time, I had more friends. I know of a fellow right now that whenever he's got money and he's sober, his house is filled with people all the time. Whenever he goes down and hits the very bottom, and I've had to go over and pick him up off the floor and take him to the mental hospital, a, a, a mental wing of Florida North Hospital, it's just like a bunch of cockroaches run off into the cracks in the walls. They're gone. And when after finally weeks and weeks of recuperation, he comes out of it again, the garage door comes open, they all come back in again, and they'll walk off with hundreds of dollars worth of tools and hundreds of dollars in cash, and they'll strip his house from time to time, and then he'll go down again, and they'll, they'll all disappear, and somebody will go over there and pick him up and take him away again. Many, many times in your life and mine, God is going to send adversity in your life and mine to have us sift out our friends. Who is really our friend, and who are we supposed to have as friends? One of the beautiful things is, as believers, is when we have adversity, we can begin to identify with Christ's power. The very thing I've been talking about. According to your faith, so shall it be unto you. These signs shall follow them that believe. I don't know that I shared this with you, but Gene Lilly said a week ago Saturday about when he had multiple sclerosis and diabetes and was on a four-legged walker and he was prayed for to be healed. He said some people would come around him and say, well, brother, you can just suffer for Jesus' sake. Isn't it wonderful you can suffer for Jesus' sake? While he'd be in his wheelchair, one guy came up and to him, in the high, I can't remember the exact wording, but something about it. He said, uh, are you a Christian? He said, oh, yes, sir. He said, you, you belong to Jesus? He said, yes, sir. He said, uh, uh, I, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Uh, and he says, and you're like that? He says, yes. He said, wouldn't you like to accept Jesus? And, I looked at him like I'm not sure whether I want Jesus or not if that's the way Jesus treats his kids. But so many times they'll say, well, you can just suffer for Jesus. But when you come into adversity, many times it's to challenge our faith to begin to identify ourselves with the power of Christ in our lives. Sally described it tonight. That it is not a one-time situation. It is day by day we resist the devil, submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and he'll have to flee from us. It's a warfare. You get up in the morning, you put on your armor. Hold up the shield of faith. Pull out the sword of the Spirit. Lunge at Him with it. And you begin to identify with the power of God. Produce public accountability for growth. Producing public accountability for growth. Sometimes when God is dealing in your life and mine in an area of secret sin, and we won't let it go, and we won't deal with it, and we won't deal with it, and we won't deal with it, God will finally bring it out for public accountability. He'll expose it. So that we'll finally let that thing go and grow. God doesn't want to do that. Many times He'll let people go for years and years and years and years with that old private sin, that little pet sin of theirs under here. You know, I wouldn't want anyone else to know about it, but it's there. Whether it's a nasty habit or if it's a something of lust. They just hold it there. Well, oh, I wouldn't want anybody to ever find this out. And that's Satan's devices, you see. As long as he can keep you to keep people from knowing what's going on inside and no one else knows about it, he can keep dealing with it. Finally, God, through adversity, will have to allow that thing to be publicly brought forth for accountability so that you'll finally say, that thing is so shameful, I don't want it anymore. And through that adversity, God will cause you to grow. He'll have to bring you down that He might bring you up. And then comforting others. 
The Word of God speaks of comforting others with the comfort wherewith you were comforted. It's wonderful to be able to walk into an experience of adversity and have someone come up and say, I just want you to know I'm going to be praying for you, and I want you to know that I have gone through this experience, and it wasn't joyful. But as I look back, I see that God did a purifying work in my life through this experience. And I just want you to know God's going to see you all the way through it. And you're going to come out on the other side, even as Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when thou art recovered, re, what? restore thy brethren. Restore thy, when, when you're comforted, when you are restored, then comfort your brethren. Encourage your brethren. Let them know that when Satan comes along with adversity, that when I pray for you, I'm your high priest. When I pray for you, you're going to come out of it. So you see, God doesn't just indiscriminately send adversity into your life and mine. He has all of these goals in mind. The Christians in China 30 years ago, I'm sure, said, Oh my God, have you forgotten us completely? Has the tribulation period come? All of us are being killed and slaughtered and we're floating down the river, absent from the body, present with the Lord, of course. But God had a greater ministry in mind 30 years ago. And I'll tell you one thing, it's like Brother Wesley Smith said, the church in China is pure. Because nobody went to church just to be popular. They even had cases where when the Christians would go out to baptize the new believers that the communists would get on the hilltop around the river and gun them down while they were in the river, shoot them to, in the river uh, with machine guns. One instance of that happening, he told about, they saw these Christians all going out of the village. They tried to go off in different directions so it wasn't so noticeable, but someone somehow they found out and they sent several truckloads of soldiers after them with submachine guns to kill them, in the, shoot them while they were in the river being baptized. And they were praying all the way as they went and praising the Lord after they got out of the village. And just like it happened to the Egyptians' chariots, every one of the trucks began to break down. And finally the soldiers had to get out of their trucks. They kept trying to fix them and, and to get going again. And when they got to the mountaintop, I got to the mountain, they had to climb the hill to get to the top of the hill to look down on the river. They had to get out and walk the last mile or so. And when they got to the top of the hill, they looked down and they saw communist soldiers with their guns ready, already there to kill the Christians in the river. They thought, well, somebody else must have sent out another group of men to do this for us so we can go back and fix the truck and go on home. They went back down the hillside, got in the truck, went home, the Christians went ahead and had a beautiful baptismal service. And they went home. And when they got back to the when the communists got back to the village, they realized there was no other group of soldiers sent out there to do that. The Lord had set his angels around the saints of God. And when the communists looked down, they thought they saw communist soldiers, but the Lord was protecting his own children, and not one Christian was killed in that baptismal service. Now I know if if you don't know these things can happen, you say, oh, Brother Webb, that, I, that, that's pretty hard to believe. Well, read the book of Acts and maybe you'll get tuned to it. God is still on the throne and He is still fulfilling His Word today. And I think that when He said He was going to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh, He didn't leave one-fourth of it out of the picture. One out of every four being Chinese. 
He's pouring out his spirit with one of the greatest revivals yet over there. And uh, how I thank God for the truth of his word. He shows us that through these experiences, the church in China is going to be able to comfort many, other, many another Christian. And about the time you and I think we have problems, we can be comforted to see that we know nothing of adversity in comparison to what they know. I trust that this message on discouragement will help you and cause you to find new victory in Jesus Christ every day. And every time adversity comes, you'll just look at these and say, Now, Lord, which one of these 16 things are you trying to do in my life right now? And then submit to whatever he shows you to grow.